Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, tonight we're debating whether or not society should be based on religion or race, and we are starting right now with JF's opening statement. Thanks so much for being with us, JF. The floor is all yours. Hello everyone. Should society be based on religion or race? Tonight I say race, but I want to disentangle some confusion that there could be on what that means. Uh, Society, uh, race and religion are not separate. Um, religions are inherited by father and mother to children transmission. They are therefore passed on uh, according to the genetic line, and they are passed on by the genes of the parent to a child that has half of the genes of his mother and half of the genes of his father's. So there are definitely links between race and religion. They are attached to each other. What I mean tonight is that if you have to make a choice between the two, and sometimes in current days we have to make a choice between the two because certain religions have been so opened as to including, as to include any population that would want to join them. Uh, the way Catholicism has spread from being a Europe-centric religion and eventually became a worldwide religion, that is an example of how religions can overextend. And that is what I mean by race ultimately is more important than religion. It's that when religions give up their base and when religion, when religions stop caring about race and stop caring about being exclusive to a geographic or ethnic uh, subsection of humanity, then they will become absolutely unpredictive of the outcomes of a society. That is, a society based uniquely on religion will not be comparable to another society with the same religion if there is massive ethnic differences between the two. The first thing that needs to be said is that race ultimately is the nuclearization of genes, the clusterization of genes, such that certain groups of people, white, black, Asian, have different genes. They have different frequencies of gene alleles in the entire human population. And the Asians are closer to each other genetically with other Asians. The blacks are closer to each other genetically with other blacks. And the Europeans are closer to each other uh, than they are to any of the two groups previously mentioned. Uh, so we have to ask, what is the power of genetics ultimately to determine the power of race in determining outcomes in society? 
And my favorite study for this is a meta study that regroups a lot of data from many twin studies. <clears throat> the study is called Dissecting Polygenic Signals from Genome-Wide Association Studies on Human Behavior. And in figure two, you have a beautiful layout of all known cognitive human behaviors and their relationship and how much of their variance in society is caused by genes. Just to give you a, a, a short subsample of what they talk about, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, cannabis use, depression, alcohol dependence, same-sex sexual behavior, number of children, IQ, income, educational attainment. All of these variables have huge contributions from the genes as is assessed by twin studies. To give you an example, IQ, 80% of the variance in society is determined by genes. What does it mean? It means that if religion or any cultural factor is to be explaining differences in intelligence between people, it's always going to be within that 20% left that is not explained by genetics. Genetics explain 80% of the difference between intelligence of various people within a population. Therefore, all environmental factors taken together can only explain 20% in and of themselves. Now, that leaves a very little place for religion. And that's totally in line with what we see in the world. Uh, we see Christian societies that are in Europe, and they have an average of 100 IQ. We see Christian societies in Africa, and they have the average IQ that is in the countries around it, uh, the, the African countries around it, which is a lower IQ. And you go into groups of Asian Christians, and they are around the Asian IQ measures. So all this to say, and all of the all of the cognitive behaviors of humans listed in that study, they all have a minimum genetic contribution of 25 for things like number of children, but the vast majority are hovering around 50% at least. That is 50% of the variance on all measures that we know of in society is explainable by genes. There is no equivalent predictive power from any religious measure that's ever been achieved in sociology. Religion may have small predictive power on the chances that you might commit a crime, maybe a little effect on income, but those are massively small effects in comparison with what we can get from the genes. Now, how does that play out in something like murder rates. And I think that murder rates are an illustration of the degree of violence in a society. And if you listen to the religious people, they would have you believe that one of the solutions to immorality in society or criminality is to get people submitted to their God. But that is just a delusion that the religious people entertain. The fact is that you can push religion onto a society, and that society will keep the same kind of behavior they had. They will simply have religious justifications to it. So I want to go around the world here and talk about the crime rate in various uh, countries, and you will see that the crime, rate, the crime rate, independent of religion, varies widely 
and it varies on one criteria, it is race. And race is the best predictor of how much crime you're going to get in a society, not whether the society is Christian, not whether it's Muslim, but whether uh, you have white people, Asians, or black people in that society. So Europe, uh, the Western European countries like France, Belgium, we're talking about murder rates between one and two. This is per 100,000 inhabitants. When we go into Arab countries like Egypt, uh, we're talking about murder rates above two, but below four. Um, and you... When we look at Egypt, for example, it is a country that is 90% uh, Muslim. Uh, when you look at Jordan, another Arab country, uh, you have murder rates that are between one and four, depending on the year. Uh, for example, in, in, 19, in 1994, the murder rate was 4.47. When you have an authoritarian regime that shows up in Jordan, uh, you have a big drop of the murder rate, and it hovers around one, between 1 and 2, up to 2022. So again, an Arab country, typically above 1 but and below 4. Um, <clears throat> but then you go to Nigeria, and Nigeria is interesting because it's a half-Christian, half-Muslim nation where there are Africans and where you would expect this to be a test nation. That is, if Christianity or if Islam can help reduce the crime rate in a population where there's already a high crime rate, it should show up in Nigeria. So Nigeria has roughly equal numbers of Muslims and Christians, around 47% each. But when you look at the homicide rate in 2019, it is neither the range of Europe, which is around one, neither the range of Arab countries, which is between one and four. It is a rate of 21.99, 21.99 murder. That is about 20 times the murder rate that you would get in a European nation. <clears throat> now, we're talking about a both Christian and Muslim nation. And so the question comes in, uh, are these murders committed more by Christians or more by Muslims? Well, uh, when you look at the murderer uh, by religion, Christian and Islam commit almost equally the same number of murder. Look, for example, at 2011, 46,000 for Christians. 35,000 for Islam. Now, you might say, okay, there's a slightly lower, slightly lower homicide rate in the Islam population in Nigeria, but we're still talking orders of magnitude, one order of magnitude above anything you could see in Europe, anything you could see in an Arab country. So the answer here is religion does not seem to highly influence the crime rate. And when you look at the crime rate in Nigeria, neither the Muslim religion nor the Christians are, nor the Christianity of the people there has to be blamed. What has to be blamed is that it is a different ethnicity. It is an African country with African genes and African culture, and it, they kill each other at the rate, no matter whether they're Christian or Muslim, 
they kill each other at the rate of the countries around Nigeria. Now, the comparable places where such crime rates can be achieved outside of Africa, uh, there is Detroit. Crime in Detroit, uh, the crime rate in Detroit is basically 41.4, which is above, but in the same ballpark of what we observe in Nigeria. Again, if you had a model that's based on Christianity, you'd be like, okay, uh, there's that much murder in Nigeria within the Christian population. And there's a similar similar uh, amount of homicides around Detroit at 41.4. Now, Christianity tells you nothing about this because if if I apply this Christian model to a country of Europe, where most people would be Christian, where the majority is Christian, I'd get down to a rate that's one order magnitude lower than this. Therefore, Christ, neither Christianity nor Islam is a good explanatory predictive variable to explain how societies turn. The only predictive variable is genes, and genes can be observed as deploying inside different groups uh, that we call race. Now, uh, we should not forget that even the murder rates that, that's observed in Nigeria uh, which is very high, it doesn't even include all murders because there is often political violence associated with religion. And for example, in 2021, in Nigeria, Muslims have murdered 3,462 Christians in 200 days. So very often with religion, the problem that you get is that you have different ways of interpreting it. And so I'm sure that Daniel here would tell us that his view of religion is that it's a religion of peace. But religion in another head can lead to another result. It can be used as an argument to deploy a warrior program to take over a society. And very often, the Muslim religion is used as a tool to dominate a nation aggressively and through violence. So, one minute left. Why, why is it that religion ultimately is not a good predictor? It's because religion is a facade. You don't have to integrate all principles of a religion, and there couldn't be possible agreement by everyone of a given religion on what it means to practice that, that religion. Religions have all sorts of tools to let their believers change their behavior accordingly. You can have a tool like the concept of infidels in Islam uh, can be used to eventually dehumanize someone else and eventually leading to their to attacking them, murdering them, or excluding them from a country. So because religions are so malleable, a Christian in Nigeria is not the same thing as a Christian in Idaho. That is what I want you to retain today. A Christian is not a thing. A Christian is simply someone who says they are Christian, and what they do with it will differ widely according to their biologically encoded behavioral programs. 
Thank you very much for that opening. And I want to say, folks, if it's your first time here at Modern Day Debate, we are a neutral debate platform hosting debates on science, religion, and politics. I'm your host, James, and I want to say, if you haven't yet, hit that subscribe button as we have many juicy debates coming up. In fact, you have a couple that are actually including our guests that we have on tonight. So in particular, as you'll see at the bottom right of your screen, Dr. Ben Burgess and JF will be debating socialism versus capitalism. That's coming up. And then, as you've probably seen as well, we're very excited, that, as you can see at the bottom right of your screen too, Daniel Hakikaju and Mike Jones of Inspiring Philosophy will be debating at DebateCon. That's going to be a huge one. You don't want to miss these debates. Hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss these debates. And with that, we're going to kick it over to Daniel. I gave about, it was about 12 and a half to or so minutes. So if you need a little, a little extra time for your opening, Daniel, you've got it. The floor is all yours. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, ala Rasulillah. Unlike most of my debates, my opponent today agrees with me that the modern liberal order is a dystopia. What we disagree on is the solution. JF believes that ideally societies should be based on race. As a Muslim, I believe that ideally societies should be based on religion. I maintain that Islam is the ideal religion, but for the sake of this debate, any traditional religion would be better than the alternative of race-based society. I'll give three reasons why race-based society is bad and religion-based society is superior. First, the value argument. Religions are rich with values. Religions tell us things like how you should treat your parents, your spouse, what are appropriate gender roles, how you interact, how should you interact with members of society, how to dress, what is the purpose of life, what is the value of being human, etc. Religion provides guidance on all these questions and much more, which is why religions are value rich. A person's race, by contrast, provides little to, to no guidance on these issues. A person's race is just a brute fact. It does not provide a paradigm or worldview by which to understand the universe and interact with it in any meaningfully robust way. More specifically, valuing one's race does not entail valuing the institution of marriage, family, communal traditions, etc. By extension, Preserving your race does not entail preserving any of these critical institutions. You can be a hardcore Japanese supremacist, but preserving your race by stopping immigration, stopping interracial marriage, etc., does not guarantee you will preserve Japanese traditions, cuisine, rituals, or values. Those things are not found within Japanese blood or genes. They are found within Japanese religion. And that's why to preserve those traditions, you would have to live in a society based on religion and not race. Second is the degeneracy argument. We want religion-based societies because religion protects us from the degenerate liberal transhumanism that is destroying humanity. Religions actually block degeneracy. You won't find drag queen story hour in a traditional Islamic, Christian, or Buddhist society. But there is no guarantee you won't find this in a white nation. The only difference is that in a white nation, all the drag queens are white. And in a Chinese nation, they're all Chinese. Same goes for feminism. A society based on race will be just as feminist as our current liberal societies. The only difference will be that instead of a multiracial, instead of multiracial feminists, the feminists will be all white. The elderly 
who are coldly abandoned in nursing homes will all be white. The mass governmental surveillance tracking us all will be conducted by whites instead of Barack Obama or Kamala Harris. Racial uniformity does not block these problems. It simply replaces a multiracial dystopia with a monoracial one. A religious society, however, would block all of these things, and Islam in particular would do the best because Islam is anti-degeneracy, anti-feminism, and anti-technocratic authoritarianism. Same thing with the transhumanist agenda. Modifying the human body through implants and gene editing is blocked by traditional religions, which place a transcendent value in the human body. Christians say that the body was made in God's image. Muslims maintain that God has honored the children of Adam. The human form is sacrosanct, and that is why the biggest opponents to transhumanist technologies are religious believers. But a society based on race would not have the moral resources to block these man-made horrors beyond our comprehension. I think gene editing is very relevant since JF argues in his book, The Revolutionary Phenotype, that gene editing will ultimately lead to the extinction of the human race. It's religious people that have posed the biggest opposition to these technologies. Meanwhile, in racial nationalist societies like China, Israel, and Japan, among others, researchers are aggressively pushing for deregulation of gene editing technologies. Thirdly, the longevity argument. The third reason for religion-based society is that race-based societies don't last. That they always fall apart. Historically, race alone has never preserved a people. Consider Europe and the white race. Historically, Europeans were always deeply traditional, following a variety of Nordic, Greco-Roman, and Christian religious customs. These customs are what made European people European. Once you strip all of those religious beliefs and customs away, what are you left with? This is actually a useful way to understand this entire debate. Race-based societies are what you get when liberal modernity strips away religion. In other words, religious-based societies come first, and then secularization forces them to devolve into racial nationalism. Let me explain why. Humans have this biological mechanism where they identify with others who resemble them. When you see someone who shares the same racial, cultural, or religious characteristics as you, you identify more closely with that person and you identify with that group. You see yourself as part of that group and you're motivated to cooperate more closely with that group while also feeling hostility towards outsiders. This is all basic human psychology as explained by leading academics like Jonathan Haidt and Joseph Heinrich. Now imagine you're living in a German village in the 18th century. Every villager has the same religion, culture, and race. You all dress similarly. You speak the same language. You eat the same food. You have the same beliefs about God. You engage in the same rituals. All this shared similarity creates a natural biological motivation to live in harmony with your people. But then Germany modernizes and liberalizes. They introduce freedom of speech, which allows atheists to constantly attack belief in God. They take religious education out of schools, etc. So now you have a lot fewer co-religionists. Fewer people care about religion at all. Whatever shared customs are left are then destroyed by industrialization, liberalization, feminism. 
Once shared religion and culture are gone, people can no longer satiate their natural biological impulse to identify with others who resemble themselves. The only shared trait that remains is race, and this is why you see this secular racial nationalism emerging in modern times. Race-based similarity is the last holdout only because that takes longer for liberalism to destroy. But the liberal global hegemony has been working hard over the past 60 years to destroy that as well. In the next 60 years, if things continue according to this liberal agenda, even the similarity that we have with each other on the basis of being human with human bodies will be destroyed. New technologies like gene editing and chip implants will allow extreme body modification and even psychological modification. So we won't even have a shared body or a shared human psychology to unite upon. In that future, we could have this same exact debate, actually. Instead of debating religion-based society versus race-based society, I would still be arguing for religion-based society, and JF in the future would be arguing for a human-based society. That future JF would argue that humanity-based society could somehow ward off the problems of liberal transhumanism in the same way that the JF of today argues that racial nationalism can ward off these problems. But both JFs are mistaken. Only religion is powerful enough to do that. People are motivated to live in harmony because of the biological in-group affinity towards those who are most similar to them. And religious beliefs and customs are the strongest forms of similarity. When religion is stripped away, you get a much weaker basis for similarity, which is race. But this provides far less motivation for maintaining social harmony. Now, someone might argue that historically there were societies united on race, but this is inaccurate. These societies that were united on race were actually united on the basis of racial religions. Examples include Judaism, Hinduism, Shintoism, and Confucianism, the ancient Egyptian empire, ancient Greeks, the Roman empire, etc. The notion of race within these groups was an extension of religious beliefs. For example, believing that your race is chosen by God or that your people descend from the gods or from godlike ancestors. This is very different from the secular notion of race propounded by nationalists today. In these religions, race and belief are intertwined. For example, in Judaism, marrying a non-Jew is strictly prohibited by Talmudic law. Talmudic law also forbids Jews from mixing with Gentiles or even having meals with them. But as Jews have become more secular, many Jews ignore these religious prohibitions. This has changed Jewish racial demographics. The same thing is found among Hindus. Traditional Hinduism has strict rules about maintaining boundaries between castes, etc. This preserves Hindu races. But as modern Hindus have secularized, the caste system has dissolved and the racial demographics of India have radically shifted. To put it simply, fear of God is the strongest motivator for preserving race. Get rid of God and you get rid of your race. Race is not strong enough glue by itself to bind people together over long periods of time. To conclude, Islam promotes multiracial societies united on religion. But Islam is distinct from liberalism in that it is not anti-race either. There is a place in Islam for feeling a natural affinity for your ethnic or racial group. In one tradition, a man, a man asked the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, 
Is it blameworthy tribalism for a man to love his people? The prophet responded, no, rather it's blameworthy tribalism that someone supports his people in wrongdoing. Islam therefore has this balanced view, this perfect view, neither reviling racial affinity nor putting it above God or justice. In the end, even for those who want to preserve race, like JF, religion is an inescapable ingredient for society. The deeper point is that racial nationalism is the product of the same anti-religious liberal forces that are in the process of destroying all of humanity. You got it. Thank you very much for that opening as well. And want to let you know, folks, just a couple of quick housekeeping things. In particular, as you can see at the bottom right of your screen, we just moved on to TikTok. We think this is a huge opportunity for modern day debate to expand across the Internet ecosystem. We need a thousand followers there. And I have pinned our TikTok link at the top of the chat. Once we get to a thousand followers, we can stream our juicy controversial debates there until they ban us. So I want to encourage you click on that TikTok link and follow us as we think this is a huge opportunity. But for real, we'll be careful so we don't get banned there because we really do think it's a big opportunity to grow modern day debate by getting us major exposure there. So with that, want to get our guests into the open dialogue. Thanks so much, gentlemen. The floor is all yours. All right. Well, what an intro statement. Uh, James, I would like to just concede. Uh, Daniel is right. And uh, yeah, you're just better than me, bro. Are you sarcastic? No, no. <laughs> no, I'm not sarcastic. I, I think what you presented, I, I fully agree. I fully agree with everything you've said. <clears throat> and you're right that... Uh, that religion is a necessary tool to preserve race. So that is the kind of religious view that I support. That is a religious view that remains race conscious. And yes, religion is a tool to kind of take the principles of race and the principles of genetic that I've been talking about and introduce them to the normies, basically to the large population without the details. And when, when your religion tells you uh, you know, breed with someone in your in your uh, in your church. Breed with someone who has the same religion as you, and directly, it is directing you toward the right eugenics and the right evolutionist program that will preserve your race. So I think, uh, yeah, I fully agree. What you present is not a view of religion as conflicted with race, but a view of religion as a support and a a tool through which uh, the race concerns that I've expressed are integrated to so to the to society. Now, what I take issue with are those religions that forget this, those religions that don't care about preserving their ethnicity. And I would I would almost like to put you in the situation of the Catholic religion. Like, if you were in a country, and I, I understand that you're a Muslim. But what if the authorities of your, of your Muslim religion were to decide, all right, anyone who says they are Muslim are Muslim, and everyone is welcome here. And eventually you get a demographic change in your country that increases constantly, say, the, the African part of your population. Is there a point at which you would consider this nation that has diverged ethnically from itself? Is there a point at which it's not 
it's not Muslim anymore, even if they are by label. No, like there could be immigration, like there could be an Islamic uh, state or Islamic nation. Um, and that's what Muslims hope for, that is Muslim and the law of the land is Islam. Um, and all Muslims from around the world could come into this uh, geographic territory, what's called Dar al-Islam or the, uh, the, you know, the nation of Islam, the home of Islam. And it would necessarily have a variety of different races, races and ethnic groups within that larger Darul Islam or Ummah, they can make decisions on the basis of who to associate with um, or not, and that they have that prerogative. Um, that's not something that Islam encourages or discourages. And actually, in the history of Islam, this has been the case that you've had. Even from the very beginning, um, there were many tribes in the Arabian Peninsula. And when Islam came with the Prophet Muhammad, um, the Prophet didn't disband all the tribes. He didn't say, okay, now everyone has to mix together and we're getting rid of all of these different tribes. Actually, in, he took actions to preserve the tribes in certain instances, for example, in battle. So when the Muslim army is going to fight with non-Muslims, uh, then he didn't say, okay, everyone mixed together in the ranks. Rather, each tribe in, in the um, formation stuck with themselves. And this makes sense. Why? Because they know each other. Each tribe knows each other, knows how it's, you know, their fighting style and, and would be more effective in battle uh, if they are sticking together as a tribe. So uh, things like this uh, tell us that Islam is not against dissolving all races or ethnicities and forcing everyone to adopt, you know, one una, one single culture, one sing, single ethnicity or race. No, there's a diversity that can exist, but the highest law of the land or the highest allegiance or the highest source of identity should be Islam. But you can, you know, identify as a specific race or a specific culture, and that's not contrary to Islam. You can decide within your family, okay, we want to, uh, we're only, and many Muslims have this kind of attitude, like, okay, we, we want to marry within our same culture or with our same tribe. It's not because they're quote unquote racist or bigoted or hateful. It's because of preserving their uh, culture, preserving their specific traditions as a family or as a tribe or as a, or as a group. That is, there's nothing inherently un-Islamic about that. It's only if you say something like, oh, one culture is superior, one group is superior, or, oh, we are just better, or we're going to violate the rights of other Muslims or other even non-Muslims on the basis of a racial affiliation. That's when it becomes problematic. And that's the, um, the, the narration that I read in the conclusion of the opening statement. I'm wondering what would be your attitude um, because you are dominant. When, when there's a Muslim country, it's very often not like Nigeria, which is split between Muslim and Christian. Very often, the Muslim religion succeeds at dominating the whole of society and therefore at, uh, at solidifying the ethnic composition of the society. But you see a worldwide Muslim uh, domination? Do you have a conquering uh, spirit to this? Let, what, what would you do with Christians who refuse to eventually accept to be part of the Muslim religion? So Islam is universalistic. It believes like Christianity and spreading. 
uh, and Judaism actually uh, in spreading and uh, becoming dominant on a global basis, but it allows for minority religions, um, specifically Christianity, uh, Judaism, some will say Hinduism as well, um, as minorities who can practice their religious customs and actually stay within themselves if they want to stick together as an ethnicity. Um, that's uh, accounted for in an Islamic law. It's called Ahkam Ahlul Dhimma, the uh, rulings pertaining to the uh, protected people, um, so minority, religious minorities. So they wouldn't be forced to convert. Um, in fact, historically, you have uh, many of these kinds of minorities, like in Egypt, you have the Coptic Christians who um, are a minority, but they've been a minority for nearly 1,400 years. Uh, same with Christians in Iraq, Christians in um, the uh, Levant, they have been minorities for centuries, and they haven't assimilated. Why? Because Islam allows for them to practice their traditions and maintain their ethnic group unmolested. Um, there are certain requirements that they have to abide by, such as um, a certain kind of tax that they have to pay, a nominal tax that they have to pay, um, like jizya, what's called jizya. But... Um, but otherwise they can practice their religion and have their beliefs and reproduce as they have been. Okay. And when there's a conflict within Muslims, uh, because there are many, uh, someone on the chat was mentioning the Sunni and the Shiite. How do you see this? Is this a failure of the religion to have been a unifying factor? So I think a lot of religions will uh, face splintering just like any kind of empire or civilization. And I don't think it's a failure of Islam. I just think it's natural to any kind of human group that you'll have splintering. But compared to other religions and also compared to other cultures, Islam has been extremely consistent in preserving its beliefs, uh, its practices, its rituals, marriage law, um, you know, all of these kinds of uh, rules and regulations and beliefs and rituals have been preserved uh, better than any other religion or better than any other civilization. All right. Well, I, I really liked what you mentioned about the transhumanist because I agree. In fact, even if I'm not Muslim, I think that the only way we can uh, we can protect against technology and its progression toward genetic modifications of humans is to make sure that there are more religious people alive in a hundred years than there are today. And so if, uh, if the secularists continue making babies and represent a strong segment of the population, I'm afraid that we will indeed uh, go toward transhumanism. Uh, so I think that religion totally has a role in this uh, movement of resistance. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I uh, there are other things that we can discuss. Uh, I want to like, I would like to discuss and push you a little bit on libertarianism. Um, okay. On that, but I did want to counter some of your claims about um, crime rates and whether it's race that's the underlying factor or religion. So I think there's a lot of statistical data as well that shows how. Um, Religion has a huge effect or a major impact on fertility, homicide rate, on extramarital sex, uh, fornication. There's a lot of statistical 
evidence on this. Um, you can look at one book that talks about this a lot is Are Muslims Distinctive by Stephen Fish. Um, so he gives a lot of evidence how actually there is a statistical correlation with Muslim societies and a reduced homicide rate. Um, I think that it's important when doing these com uh, comparisons and correlations that we account for economic development or gradation in economic development uh, and also the influence of liberalism. So one, one thing that we can agree on are we see higher crime rates, for example, among certain immigrant populations. The way that I would interpret that is uh, I would say that race, maybe I can concede that, okay, maybe there's like a difference in race, uh, but it's marginal, like between races on ag aggression and things like of that nature or IQ or whatever. Let's just concede that. But I would say that the difference is um, when you have immigrants leaving a highly traditional religious society. And coming to a liberal society where those same kind of controls do not exist through custom or through shared similarity, then this can have a bigger effect, a bigger negative impact on certain races than others. Um, and that can account for uh, differences in, in crime rate that doesn't take, you know, this, what I think ultimately is a morally indefensible position to say that, well, certain races are just inherently um, you know, evil or inherently uh, inclined to kill others. I don't I don't well, I have that. to I have to strongly disagree here. Uh, the question of whether uh, whether an immigrant is by the process of immigration made less or more likely to commit crimes, I would grant this to a certain extent. But that wouldn't answer why there is this fundamental difference by an order of magnitude between the crime rates in Europe the black immigrants in European countries like in the US and then the black people of Africa who stayed on Africa and in Africa and therefore are not immigrants. What we see is that the best explanatory, the best explanatory power is obtained when you consider race. That is, the black people of America commit pretty much the same amount of crime that they would commit in Africa. And whether they are immigrants or descendants of slaves doesn't seem to impact much. And we're talking about well, there is, one. We're talking about a rate of one compared to a rate of 40. That is the difference between white and black rates of crime. White immigrants versus black immigrants? No, I'm talking about whites in America and black in America. Uh, now, it, it's also between whites of America and blacks of Africa. So I don't see the immigration factor playing an enormous role here, since the crime rate is so similar in Detroit as it is in Africa. But there's a discrepancy, right? The crime rate is not the same. There's a, well, the crime rate is actually slightly higher in Detroit. So it's 40 in Detroit, and in some countries of Africa, you'll see between 20, 30. So it's a little lower in Africa. If, if you want to say this, then the immigration factor or the fact of being in a majority white nation could influence by a factor of maybe by 10. But the 20 to 30 difference that still separates black people from white, and I'm talking about black people in Africa here, could not be explained by an immigration uh, model. It seems that because there are many African nations that they share the it's the same racial phenotype, 
but the crime rates are vastly different. Um, and I think a better explanation is that these are traditional societies and these are societies that have controls for things like antisocial behavior or non-cooperative behavior amongst the population. And that's, the, that's why you'll see a discrepancy between um, some of these, uh, whether it's in Africa, East Asian, Central Asian, Eastern European, you'll see these discrepancies between those more traditional societies and then the more liberal societies. The crime rates, for example, in, in Western societies, these uh, highly liberal where there aren't, you, you don't have the same kind of family network, kinship structure, you don't have the same kind of traditional uh, sexual norms, gender norms, the crime rates are uh, lower in those traditional societies. Whereas in, in Europe and in America, Canada, things are getting worse and worse every year. Um, and I don't think that's purely correlated to immigration. Uh, I think it's highly correlated with immigration. If you look at the if you look at the uh, graph of the number of homicides by black and white populations and by Hispanic population, you realize that the whites have been stable and extremely low uh, since the fifties, and there, there doesn't seem to be uh, e even if they abandon family values and religion. Uh, the atheists currently do not have a high rate of crime. The white atheists in America do not have a, a high rate of crime, do not have a high rate of murder. Well, they are basically be... at where the white population lies and has been lying for 50 years. But this could be explained by what I mentioned earlier, that certain races need uh, more of this kind of traditional society they have, as opposed to whites, whites uh, have uh, less need for this kind of social um, cohesion or kinship family structure. They have less of a need. They're more independent minded, let's say, on this kind of view. And therefore, they will be less antisocial in a liberal society as opposed to other races. How would you respond to that? Oh, I, I love this idea. Uh, I I don't know if I want to stick to say say that it's true and that I'm convinced of it, but I certainly like the hypothesis. Uh, I've been seeing, for example, how Chinese co colonialism is done in Africa, and they have extremely tough disciplinary power over the the countries that they dominate, and they they try to train the Africans at doing things or at not adopting certain behaviors. So it can religion play this kind of whipping effect on certain minorities? I don't know. I, I think it would be interesting. But if I take, for example, Islam, and I see the application of Islam in Nigeria, I would say it's largely a failure in terms of stopping them from committing homicides. How would you explain that? Well, I think that, again, I'd go back to economic um, development discrepancies between Nigeria and other countries, because a lot of your comparisons are between when you say these white European nations, they have a lot more economic development, and that can explain a lot of the difference in homicide rate. I would say as a counter, look at Russia, for example. Russia has a higher homicide rate than many Muslim countries and some African countries, um, including Libya, including Mauritania, including Algeria, Russia, and certain Eastern European countries as well. They have a higher homicide rate 
and they are of this, you know, comparable economic development. It, maybe even Eastern Europe and Russia have more economic development than some of these black nations, yet they have more of a homicide rate. How would you explain that? They have more than Western Europe? Yes. Is, uh, is that your statement? Russia, yeah. Russia and Eastern Europe. Yeah. So they have about four or five versus one, two in, your, in Western Europe. That is true. I've never considered really the Eastern European and Russia as part of the same race as the Western Europeans. Uh, to me, it's a Slavic race. It's a subset of Caucasians. But I consider that they are genetically really different and that they have a fundamentally different society. Uh, I, I guess that from the race perspective, that's not super hard to explain. Uh, these countries have converged toward a different genetic nuclei that can be observed when we do genetic tests. Uh, but they have a similar religion. I mean, I would note that Eastern Europe and Russia uh, have subscribed to a form of Christianity, just like Western Europe. But as I said in my intro statement, they recycle this religion and change it to their own behavior. So it, 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 it ends up with a different effect because it's a different people, a different race. But still, you'd say that Russians genetically, fine, I can concede that they're different uh, genetically, so much so that we can consider them a different race, but they're still closer um, on the phylogenetic tree to Western Europeans than to people in Chad or Sudan, correct? But their, their, they fine, are their closer, homicide rates yes. are much higher. They are closer, uh, and their homicide rates is nothing compared to Sudan. Uh, the homicide rate in Russia is, in Eastern Europe, is between four and five, which is much closer to the white Western European rate than it is to Sudan, I would assume. I mean, I have to check, but African nations typically are above 20. The graph that I'm looking at is from uh, ourworlddata.org slash homicides, and it's looking at two, uh, 2019 data. Annual number of deaths from homicide per 100,000 people. So Russia is in the 10 to 20 range. And then you have many African countries that are lower than five per 100,000 black nations. Well, that is interesting. Uh, but again, I consider that Russia is a separate genetic nuclei. They could have evolved on their own to become a violent and corrupt society. Okay. They did go through uh, communism and uh, forced atheism. So my explanation also matches, you know, or is consistent with that data set as well. Well, you, I don't think that you provide a, a ground to believe that it's the atheism of 60 years ago that is still reverberating and causing murders in Russia. Uh, that would need to be proven. Well, it's the, it's the destruction of the um, Orthodox religion that held that society together that was completely, very suddenly and violently stripped from the Russian people. And that can have a major effect on antisocial behaviors uh, moving forward that reverberates for many generations. My conclusion on that subject would be uh, Russia is a different, genetically different nation. Uh, by your standard that religion should be expected to homogenize nations, you would expect them to have a Christian level of murder rates. Of course, they don't. They are somewhere 
between Europe and Africa. And that is because they are a different genetic nuclei than Europe and a different genetic nuclei than Africa. Yeah, I think, um, I think that's a counterexample, like Russian and Eastern Europe. Um, if you, if I send you the link, could you share it on your screen? I have a trouble sharing it on my. <clears throat> I, I could if you put it in the chat. Okay, let me try to get this for you. Sorry, because I would like to see your analysis of this. Um, I think it'll be useful. Useful if we are looking at the same data. Now, I, uh, while you search for this, uh, I can entertain perhaps some discourse here around. The, the context that I'm interested in mostly is not so much successful Muslim nations that are successful at preserving their race. The reason I find race so important is precisely those nations where the religion has abandoned the concept of the preservation of an ethnicity. And that, that's what I'm concerned about as a European and someone from Christian nations and Christian descent. Because Christianity precisely has not provided a bulwark against the liberal attack on family and the liberal attack on demographics. And so to me, the reason we must care about race is not so much when religion cares about it already. It's when religion gives it up. And I think it concerns mostly Christianity there because I look at Muslim nation and th there's a good question about why Muslim nation don't have immigration. Is it because they are politically self-favoring, they are ethnocentric, or is it simply because they're too poor and therefore they don't attract migrants? But in any case, uh, my big concern about religion in and of itself is when religion starts failing, like Christianity has failed and has shown itself to be really too open to the other, so much so that we have lost ourselves. Do you agree on, with this statement on the Christianity of Western Europe? I think the problem with Christianity is that it doesn't resist uh, liberalism and that it is too malleable to the influence of liberalism and uh, modernism. I think that is the one of the major problems with Christianity and other religions as opposed to Islam, when you look at Islam. And this is why Muslims are constantly attacked and Islam is described uh, by atheists like Sam Harris, which I know you don't agree with, but um, Sam Harris will say Islam is the mother load of bad ideas. I think that they target Islam because Islam is the most willing to stick to uh, these traditions that have been preserved, which makes puts it in the greatest amount of conflict with the liberal modern, modernity that we see taking over the world or has taken over the world. <clears throat> That's another thing we can agree on. The bigotry of Sam Harris when he goes after Islam is absolutely disgusting, I personally find. And his, uh, his kind of irrationality on this subject, I think, stems from his own ethnicity and his own anti-Islam bigotry to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, but um, I don't think that the main problem with Christianity is that they're not preserving uh, their racial makeup, um, because ultimately I don't think that that's because I, you know this actually conf I think conflicts with your atheism, doesn't it? Like why why even preserve the human race or why preserve a particular race um, as an atheist? Because you've described yourself as a moral nihilist. So can you explain how your moral nihilism is you're able to? 
be both a moral nihilist and be so concerned about preserving the human race. As a Muslim, I can do that because we believe in objective moral values and God has put value in the human race and therefore there's a necessity to preserve it and to block things like gene editing or transhumanism. But as a moral nihilist, how can you uh, do that? Uh, yeah, I mean, moral nihilism is a meta-ethical position. So it's a position about uh, there is no objective moral and there is nothing binding onto me that would lead me to have a preference or another. That the, Saying that there's nothing binding objectively and there's no God dictating it for me doesn't mean that I don't have a preference. Uh, I would say my position on morality as a moral nihilist is the same that everyone has about ice cream. Everyone knows that ice cream preferences are subjective. No one would tell you God has ordered that vanilla ice cream is better than chocolate ice cream. And yet everyone has a preferred flavor. So I have my preferred flavors of morals while acknowledging that these taste are not ordered by God or by any objective entity. So yes, I do care about self-preservation a lot, but not because a God told me to, because I'm just because I'm a biological machine and my ancestors have worked very hard for me to be alive and each of them were heterosexual and I need to continue the chain. Okay, so you're really a moral nihilist if you think it's preserving the human race is like, I like chocolate ice cream and I just want... That's exactly how I see it. Okay, but so to follow up with that, though, don't you think that you might be uh, motivated to preserve the human race because you just like the human race so much? It's your personal preference. But don't you think society... Wouldn't it be better for people en masse to be religious and have a kind of transcendent understanding of human value and the objective uh, value of the human race rather than having like your kind of (laughs) moral nihilist perspective? Wouldn't that religious attitude be more conducive to actually preserving the human race? What yeah, you want. basically, I, I'm not a militant atheist. That's probably the difference between me and Richard Dawkins. I think that militant atheism fails to take into account that we intelligent people, high IQ people like me, uh, we are capable of living without religion. And literally having no religion and no belief in God does not influence my behavior in any way. However, if I take this belief of mine, which is atheism, and I project it on a, a million people, some of them 90 IQ, some of them 100 IQ, some of them 110 IQ, there will be uh, defects because over a large population, uh, people have been evolving in a in an atmosphere where there was religion everywhere. And therefore, the genes of humanity are just not prepared to live without the whip of religion. So I believe that we should not deprive the overall mass of people from religion. In fact, it's a very bad idea because religion probably encodes a bunch of defenses against bad ideas that are easy enough to understand for people who are stupid and therefore we should advocate to keep it. So you would prefer a Christian society uh, or a Muslim society over a atheistic society? Like if if the government... Okay. Because, mainly because of the reproductive effect. The problem of atheism uh, in America, for example, right now, you see atheist families 
have much less children. And if you lose that demographic fight, you don't exist in a hundred years from now. It's quite simple. At the current rate, the secularist atheist will simply not survive the next hundred years. And so because of this, I think we need some degree of religion to keep, especially since the, the demographics of the U.S. are currently under assault and there's many forces ready to replace the white American Christians and their atheist descendant. I think we should keep religion uh, still for a long while to ensure the breeding rates are still good enough to survive. Yeah. But you say the the whip of religion, I know that you don't you probably don't mean it in a pejorative sense, but it's really the the whip of objective morality <laughs> that you, you you have a problem with. That so. that's your opinion, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, okay. Um, but the, yeah, so I think that's the whole debate, right? So you, you conceded it already. Um, but, uh, and I want to get to this liberal libertarianism point because okay. you're, you're a libertarian as well. Um, you don't like centralized government. Um, again, getting rid of religion leads to exactly this centralization of power, um, that you find so problematic. So it's, but you're, you basically expressed that you're not anti-religion, but let me just make this point, uh, because I think it's useful to talk about it. Uh, so people naturally have tendencies to form and produce cooperative relationships, parent, child, husband, wife, uh, friend, community member, etc. Religion reinforces these cooperative relations that are biologically rooted. So people can depend on those bonds to fulfill their needs for care, for sex, education, food, socializing, entertainment, etc. As long as they can rely on these or organic relationships, they don't need centralized states. And historically, these centralized states did not exist. But if you say you don't want religion and you destroy these protective religious and cultural reinforcements, the more people will have to depend on the centralized state for their needs. When you undermine religion, you are pushing people to depend on the centralized state. Men can't rely on women for sexual needs because the marriage bond is broken. They need the corporate state apparatus to provide internet pornography to make up for this, or maybe in the future, sex robots or whatever. You can't depend on your family or community for protection. You need help from the state to provide a police force. We need the state to protect ourselves from murder and theft. In the past, we didn't need state welfare or corporate nursing homes. We could rely on the kinship system to provide for all of these needs. And all of this was reinforced with religious duties, moral duties, uh, cultural duties. But if we take, if you take out the religion, People have to then depend on the state. They can't depend on these relationships that have been undermined by liberalization, modernization, etc. Then the state gains more and more power and can then re redistribute wealth and exert this kind of leftist social agenda. The libertarian ideology that you promote elsewhere, JF, is do whatever you want. You have no obligations. You don't have to worry about being masculine or abiding by traditional gender roles. You don't have to worry about saying something blasphemous. Go ahead and insult religion. Go ahead and attack God. Go ahead and fornicate. Go ahead and change your gender. Do what you want. 
because of human biology and human biological and psychological needs, this libertarian ideology leads to the centralized authoritarian state we are currently suffering under. If you don't want a centralized state like this, then you have to preserve these bonds and these duties that are reinforced by religion and culture that impose duties, but fulfilling duties, these duties is what provides for the needs of people who would otherwise have to turn to the state. That is quite a logical jump to claim that somehow by advocating against the state, I am favoring a bigger state. But okay, I'll take the argument as such. And first, I want to, to debunk no, no, arguing, this idea. Arguing against the state? No, I mean, arguing well, you, You're against... claiming that libertarianism is what leads to the centralization of the big state. That's what you are, you're arguing. So you're right. saying... By arguing against the state, I'm causing the state. Well, but, no, no, but you're uh, arguing against libertarianism argues more than just against the state, right? It argues uh, well, against my libertarianism. Having- my libertarianism is an opposition to central control and central authorities of all kinds, religious and uh, state based. However, uh, you can you can adhere willfully to a religion, and my libertarianism is not telling people that they should that there's no gender uh, and that they, they they can feel however they want. To the contrary, what I say is let people have all the sorts of delusions that they can have. Perhaps one person thinks that they're a male, but they're not, and they're confused. And ultimately, all of these delusions or errors or are things that people engage in that are unproductive, they must be punished for it. That is, they must be the ones taking the decision, and then they must be the ones not making babies as a result of this, and then the problem is solved, because in the next generation, you only have a bunch of babies coming from those who didn't commit mistakes. So to me, uh, libertarianism is very much about letting nature do its job, letting it continue its improvement of humankind instead of trying to intervene and trying to counsel people and guide them when in fact they don't deserve being guided. Uh, I, I will say that my general opposition against central authority of the state is for the same reason that I object to religions. Uh, and religions, at least as authoritarian structures, I don't object to religions as voluntary adherence to a social contract. I love this. I think that the way uh, Christian churches were a center for the village uh, in America and in Europe for hundreds of years, and people were gathering there and forming business links and social links of all kind, that is beautiful. That is voluntary adherence to a religion. And I'm sure the same thing exists in Islam. Uh, what I don't like about imposition of authority against people's will is that the decision maker for this kind of centrally controlled authority is not the one paying the price for their errors. When the state makes an error in terms of investing my tax money into a war that serves nothing or into a social welfare program that makes the, that makes the social welfare issue bigger rather than smaller, all of this is my money and my energy being taken by someone else. And if they're wrong, uh, if they're wrong, for example, about their calls on the vaccine or on 
various uh, various decisions that they make at the medical level. All of this wrongness and these errors, I end up paying for it, and yet it's not me being wrong, it's them. And I would say the same applies to religion. Uh, if religion is misguided in its counseling, if, uh, if a religion veers away from my own interest, there's no one to make them pay the price of it. Uh, ultimately, if I go see a priest and the priest counsels me in a poor fashion, or if I trust my kids to a church entity and the priest turns out to be a pedophile, uh, I pay the price of all this. That's why I, I oppose to central control and un- involuntary control of people's lives. Uh, the, the same applies to the state as it applies to religion. But it seems to me like you, this is like modernized or modernist religion as opposed to what has been traditional religion historically. Because the authority that is found in religion, in, in most of the major traditional religions, the authority is just to reinforce what is already something, in most cases, natural or biologically rooted. So, for example, there is it's not voluntary, uh, voluntary in uh, Muslim societies or traditional Christian societies or traditional Buddhist societies. You don't you can't voluntarily decide to fornicate with someone's daughter or with someone's wife. You um, there are severe penalties, criminal penalties uh, for that kind of behavior. So I think this is something that is it's biologically rooted um, to uh, want to avoid this these kinds of um, actions like fornication. And that's why we find it universally across cultures and religions uh, independently. Um, But religion is enforcing that kind of duty uh, to and it's not voluntary. It's actually imposed by force. And usually liberals, these are the things that they have the most problem with when it comes to religion. And it seems like a libertarian perspective would also have a problem with these kinds of duties that are imposed, like the duty to pay child support uh, from fathers or the duty of a wife to uh, cook and clean for her husband and the duty for her to dress modestly and not, you know, sleep around or show herself to other strange men. Like these are all duties that are placed. It's not a centralized authority. The centralized authority can have uh, certain kinds of restrictions that it applies, but uh, throughout history, the these states uh, or, or like the caliphate, for example, did not have the technological capability to surveil people at that level in order to enforce punishments. The punishments happen more organically because you would face, you know, censure from your family. You would be shamed. Um, you would be maybe you would be turned into like the head judge and then punished criminally, but it's all an organic local phenomenon. There's not the ability to police people for a centralized authority to police people at that level. Um, so it that but it's still authority. That's my point. It's it's still the kind of authority that uh, would restrict your behavior uh, and take you away from a voluntary way for how you wanted to you know live certain aspects of your life. I love the process of social shaming in Muslim society. I think uh, we've seen a couple of cases where Muslim parents are going to American schools 
and they are complaining against the program that is uh, too liberal. And I find this beautiful. I think we should increase the Muslim population in America so that we get a little more of this. Uh, at least use the Muslims for uh, getting better education for our children. Now, you mentioned at the beginning uh, this arimation, this kind of alignment of religion with what's natural already. And that is the most beautiful that religion can be when it succeeds at not being a force of intervention or authority and control against people's will, but kind of walk along with them and find what their interests are and guide them better toward those interests. My problem here is that Christianity in Europe has way past this point where it tries to align with the natural. We see it in the, the liberalization of the discourse of Christianity, with pastors hosting drag queen shows in, in churches, literally. Uh, so that is where I take issue. Uh, I take mostly issue with a religion that has abandoned the pursuit of racially aligned interest and evolutionary interest, and that at this point is simply subscribing to the latest meme of the liberals, but maybe five years later or 10 years later. Okay. So, you, but you're fine with this kind of re, these religious restrictions that will limit someone's ability to choose, you know, whether they can go out and start blaspheming against God or promoting atheism. Like this is restriction on speech, for example. This is restriction on um, sexuality, restriction on um, gender roles. All of these things you would be in favor. Well, the devil is in the detail. What are you going to do with someone who blasphemes? If you throw them rocks until they're dead, I disagree. If you tell me that you're going to socially reject them and simply not engage in voluntary interactions with them anymore, social rejection, that is totally fine by libertarian principles. Even if that social rejection is essentially a death sentence because you don't have a welfare state for a person to be, uh, you know, getting checks in the mail, social rejection in throughout his history was essentially a death. You'd have to be exiled. You have to go to the wilderness and fend for yourself. Yeah. Personally, I, I have touched upon all the subjects I wanted to cover. So if you want to jump to the questions, I'm no, no, I have some more. I have a, a couple of more oh, yeah? things, if that's okay with you. Yeah. I don't yeah. want to keep you past your time. Um, so here's another argument that I, against race-based nation specifically or race-based society specifically. Um, would like to get your reaction to this as well. Um, so if we, the white nationalist position is that every race should have their own nation, uh, correct? So um, according to white nationalists, whites have higher IQ, they're higher, they have higher willingness to innovate, etc. This is why whites were responsible for the scientific revolution, the industrial revolution, etc. This is um, white nationalists say that these developments by whites are all good things. This is innovation and progress. The problem is historically whites have used these technologies in ways that threaten the human race. They have developed technologies that are going to be dangerous for the rest of the world. Therefore, this becomes a justification for the rest of the world to be motivated to block the white ethno state. This idea that people should not be concerned about what white people are doing in their own nations, this is debunked by colonialism. 
because you can make a racial argument. You can say that when you put white people by themselves in their own nations, historically it shows that they will develop superior weaponry and then they will go out and subjugate the world and not only subjugate the world, but because of like certain characteristics that they have racially, if we want to take that kind of white nationalist argument, they also will develop technologies that threaten the very existence of the human race, which is different from the kind of uh, uh, you know domination and subjugation of other groups. So this is their track record. And, you know, to be very clear with everyone listening, I'm not trying to blame white people today for this. I love white people. Some of the best people I know are white Muslims. But if we are going to use the same kind of racial logic that white nationalists use, then this is the conclusion. And you, JF, have said that you believe in global military intervention against places like China for gene editing, because gene editing is a threat to the human race. You make this argument in many uh, podcasts and also in your book, The Revolutionary Phenotype. Imagine that there is a white ethnostate developing technology like certain kinds of AI, um, certain kinds of weapons technology that also threatens the human race. Are other nations non-white nations entitled to intervene in the same way. This is why Muslims have a potential problem with a white ethnostate. The track record is that what that whites fetishize science and progress, and then they social engineer their societies to produce technologies that threaten not only Islam, but the entire human race. Whites don't just apply those technologies to themselves. Rather, the history shows that they want to spread it to the whole world. So isn't there grounds to prevent a white ethnostate? This is what Muslims have been dealing with for the past 200 or to 300 years because of colonialism and now this neo-imperial globalism of Northwest Europe and America. Uh, very interesting. I do think that if you feel that your existence is threatened, you could take action against a state. That's military intervention. So uh, being a moral nihilist, you militarily intervene when you feel like it, really. Uh, and there's, it's not justified when you do it, nor is it not justified when you don't do it. Um, so, but I think that you're being unfair to the potential of a white society establishing. If there was a white society establishing today in some unconquered part of planet Earth, it would probably look much more like the Amish than a highly advanced technological civilization that would outdo the other nations. At this point, uh, America has been drained so much of its knowledge and its ways of doing, and uh, I, I would actually be more worried about India and China if you want to talk about uh, genetic engineering than I am with a Amish-like ethnostate of white people. But, you know, you're an evolutionary biologist, so you're looking at things on at longer time scales. So the Amish, yes, they're nice and peaceful right now. But after 500 years, <laughs> the secret Amish danger, dangerous <laughs> Amish. I, I think that this is memeable. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. But this is the, this is the logic, right? Because those Amish are going to have uh, this higher IQ, you know, according to the white nationalist uh, 
uh, worldview. They have more the high, higher IQ. They're more willing to innovate. They're they're going to be less inclined to organize in these kinship groups that are highly traditional and that are less individualistic. So the Amish as well, they have this potential if they're allowed to just gestate. <laughs> by themselves in their communities, then this is a this is a secret threat. <laughs> you know, this is a sleeper cell on evolutionary time scales. Well at this point uh, I you 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 sound like Sam Harris advocating for a preemptive strike, but instead of a preemptive strike against Muslim, you talk of a preemptive strike against white people. I find this ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, white people have had their success and yes they are intelligent. But that doesn't mean that uh, that they will be the most intelligent on earth to develop future genetic technology. If you're worried about IQ, by the way, all white nationalists will admit to you that the Asians have higher IQ on average than the Americans, the white Americans. Yeah, so, I mean, this is, it's not a preemptive strike. It's just the argument against having ethnostates. Because if when you have a... Uh, mix uh, within one state or within one society than the different races, conceding um, race realism, conceding that, um, you still wouldn't want to have ethnostates because the races within a multiracial nation would balance each other out uh, in a way that pre- prevents this kind of, um, these kinds of problems that threaten the entire human race. That's All the right. argument. Well, uh... Maybe I can have you on my Odyssey channel and I could make my side of the argument on this. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Juicy. Well, if you, unless you have any other points, Daniel, we'll go into the q Oh, yeah. I, I, I had a, a question for Daniel. Uh, have you been following the Andrew Tate situation and were you, uh, were you enthusiastic about his conversion to Islam as a pimp of OnlyFans and... Uh, fraudulent pornography on the internet do you think he's a good muslim or he was on his way to become one yeah i was very excited about uh, him becoming muslim i was criticizing him before this fact because i was saying that he's uh, promoting a false notion of masculinity um so i was a big critic uh before his conversion but then when he converted i was happy about that but also with the fact that he seems to be reforming his ways and trying to live more of an Islamic lifestyle that is more conservative and is, you know, moving away from his previous uh, degeneracy. But, you know, my enthusiasm for Andrew Tate is contingent on whether he makes a clean break with that previous lifestyle. That takes time, obviously. He has to learn. It's a, it's a process. Uh, he's only been Muslim for a couple of months, so it's yet to be seen. But initially, I've been very enthusiastic, and I think it's a great development for Muslims. And I think a lot of people are following him in his footsteps. They're learning more about Islam, and they are seeing that you know one of the big advantages of Islam is that it does match with human nature and, and natural human intuitions, biologically rooted intuitions. It's the most aligned with human nature. And that's why I think it's so attractive, despite all of the negative PR and publicity constantly being uh, pushed onto society through media and university system, etc., about how evil Islam is, especially the kind of traditional Islam that I promote. All right. You got it. And with that, unless, of course, Daniel, if you had any other questions, I don't want to jump in too early. 
yeah. Uh, just one thought is that it's funny that JF was promoting the Amish since they're so religious <laughs> and they're the least technologically advanced and they're the most religious. But I think there's a good the... model going forward for white people. Very that's, that's juicy. With that, we do want to say a couple of housekeeping things. Our guests are linked in the description. That includes if you're listening via the podcast. As you can see on the bottom right of your screen, we have our Modern Day Debate show on every single major podcast, Spotify, Apple, you name it, we're on there. You can find our guests if you're listening via the podcast as well. Their links are in the description box. With that, thanks so much for your questions, folks. Here we go. First, thanks so much. Keckers says, can I strike? So I think this is, they say, Daniel, but in your society, if we base it off of religion, I think they're trying to say that it, it would lead to, they say, can I strike my wife in your kind of society? And they say 434. I'm guessing that's the verse of the Quran. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I encourage people to watch the videos I have on my channel about this verse of the Quran that um, endorses uh, the striking of one's wife, along with other kinds of means to uh, counter um, certain kind of disruptive, destructive behaviors of the wife. Um, if the wife is taking action to uh, or, or at, has a certain attitude where she is um, disrupting the authority of her husband and disrupting the peace of the household, uh, what's called nushuz in Arabic, in the Arabic verse in the Quran, then the husband has, the Quran grants the husband this right to strike uh, the wife. There are conditions on that striking it. Uh, based on statements of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, that it should not be a uh, like a very harsh strike or something that will leave a mark. It shouldn't be on the face. Um, but obviously this violates the notion of gender equality. Islam is pat a patriarchal religion. Men are in authority over women, as that exact verse says, men are authorities over women. And this is a patriarchal structure that is meant to be preserved in Islam. If you uh, don't have a patriarchal structure, uh, then on the basis of human biology, male and female biology, and things like hypergamy, you don't really have marriage. Destroying patriarchy is destroying marriage. But if you have patriarchy, that authority has to be backed by something, and it is backed by force. Uh, that is the only way that you can maintain authority, but Islam... Uh, doesn't advocate uh, a police force that is constantly surveilling everyone's homes and making sure that everyone's abiding by certain guidelines. Um, that is extremely invasive. That's what we have in the current modern day world. The liberal centralized state is surveilling everyone's bedroom, literally. And if your wife feels like you're an, abuse, uh, an abuser, even if you don't uh, hit her, she can call the police and have you arrested. So she has, the, the woman has been given authority in, in these gender equal societies to completely dissolve the marriage at her whim. And this is a very unstable, very destructive uh, situation. It basically means that no family can survive. And that's why we see that no families are surviving in this modern West. Uh, but uh, Islam recognizes the value of family structure, preserving families, making sure that families are stable. So it gives the husband the right to have authority, and that authority is backed by his ability in extreme situations where there is a potential to dissolve the marriage because of disobedience from the wife, that he can actually uh, 
take that those means to preserve the marriage. And this is not unlike how the modern liberal nations preserve allow employers to hire security guards at, at their company. And if there is an employee who is you know, acting disruptive, is insulting the manager, threatening the boss, uh, really disrupting the uh, the business, the employer has the right or the authority to call security to come and forcibly remove that, uh, that disobedient employee. He has the right to do that, even using force, even using force and whether that's beating, whether that involves tasing in order to uh, he can express that authority and that preserves the business. He has been given the right by the liberal state to exercise that authority over the employee. And that's preserving these businesses. But why shouldn't the family have that kind of authority? Why shouldn't the head of the family have that kind of authority as well? This is this is the decentralized authority in Islam that uh, I mentioned earlier in the debate. But if, if you get rid of that patriarchal patriarchal authority and you say no we have gender equality that has many problems but one of the problems is that you will require the centralized state to have surveillance in everyone's bedroom uh, and police literally in everyone's bedroom that's essentially what it is a policeman is standing in everyone's bedroom uh, in order to enforce a certain model of uh, morality determined by the liberal state uh, islam rejects that kind of that kind of invasion you got it. This one from Thunderstorm. Sometimes this fellow speaks more abstractly. So if you understand it better than I can, good. They say race is reality and ideology is a costume that can change with the wind. If it's what makes ideology Skinner boxer boxes evil. Absolutely. <clears throat> that refers to what I was talking about. You can say you're a Christian and it can mean a thousand things. You can say you're a Muslim and it can mean a thousand things. And therefore, when you know that a society is Muslim or Christian, you still don't know much about it. Gotcha. Oh, but I, I disagree with that. I think that you, you, have tenet, you have an orthodox tradition. You have the historical precedent. Um, that, that time scale of history is what gives meaning to different religious uh, tenets, uh, theology, dogma. Um, and certain practices. So if someone comes and says, I am a Muslim, and I believe that you can eat pork and drink alcohol, um, that's rejected, that can be objectively rejected on based on the, the books of the religion, the Quran, the statements of the Prophet, peace be upon him, and then also by the historical precedence and the agreement of Muslims historically. Like that's Those are objective factors that can tell us whether what you have said about Islam is true or false. Well, the, the thing is, you have examples of beliefs that are in the Quran and that modern Muslims would not subscribe to. Uh, you have things like uh, the, the, sun, uh, the sun showing up in a pond at the beginning of, uh, of the day. Uh, a modern Muslim would tell you that's a metaphor. So you always have a way with which believers can deny that the things were part of the original text. Well, I, I challenge that and say that there are... Um, systems, uh, established systems of interpretation of the texts as well. So this in Islam is called tafsir, 
tafsir is interpretation of the Quran and commentary on the Quran. And it follows a very stringent set of rules um, that are that have to be consistent with the original Arabic language, uh, preservation of the Arabic language in the in that society in which the Quran was revealed. Like Muslims today learn Arabic in the same way that it was spoken in the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, when the Quran came. Uh, you have many rules of exegesis that prevent a kind of uh, um, invalid interpretation that you just invent it uh, to for convenience sake in order to mold or mold yourself to the dominant society societal values or the status quo that's the problem with Christianity like Christianity you can just interpret things metaphorically oh when Jesus said this it's actually a metaphor or we don't need the Old Testament at all we can reject the Old Testament we can we can reject the papal decrees we can interpret all of these verses uh, like for slavery and for whatever however we want but Muslims don't have this, like, or Muslims reject this kind of willy-nilly, you know, just interpret however you want. We, that's why there is this long tradition of Quranic interpretation. But that's also why Muslims don't say, oh, the Quran is pro-slavery or Islam allows, the Quran allows slavery, but we reject it. We, we're going to metaphorically interpret these verses about slavery and concubines. No, Muslims today will not will not do that. Uh, I mean, there are reform movements, but they're rejected as deviant or as outside of Orthodox Islam. Just because we have a lot of questions, I want to jump forward. This one from Thunderstorm says, till the winged hussars arrive. And I looked up hussars, namely a soldier, a Hungarian light horseman. Do you know what this also means, JF? I don't know what this means either. I have no idea. This one coming in from Elusive Viper says, if the debaters were shown data showing that being a viewer of Star Trek was a better predictor for less crime and less violence and less alcohol use and other metrics, then should Star Trek be the basis for society? I mean, there's no reason why it couldn't, but as it turns out, it doesn't. Uh, we have all sorts of studies about cultural correlates, and nothing comes out as strong as ethnicity in any of this. But also Star Trek um, or anything that you could invent is on its face just an invention of a person. Whereas religion is experienced by people as being something transcendent and being connected to reality in a significant way that motivates behavior. Um, in a way that uh, fiction uh, like Star Wars or Lord of the Rings or whatever, it doesn't have that same kind of motivating factor. And that's just because of human psychology. You got it. This one coming in from, do appreciate it as well. Just remember the housekeeping thing. Folks, if you haven't, highly encourage you consider sharing this video. If you know of people who love controversial debates, it helps us a lot in terms of expanding the platform. If you share this debate, whether it be via text message, whether it be Discord, Reddit, you name it, click that share button below. That really does help for real. And by the way, we shared this stat the other day. It's super interesting that in a single month, we have about 2,300 shares, which comes to about 79 shares per, if I remember it, 79 shares per day or so, which is about 20 shares. Long story short, it's a lot. So we do, we do appreciate when you guys share. This one coming in from Megs J says, shouldn't ancestry and religion correlate? making quote-unquote belonging more definable and evident of where 
I believe that uh, religion is a proxy for race. Basically, religion has been accidentally race-based beliefs around reproduction. Now, what I advocate for is let's take consciousness of this because religion will not always be accidentally race-based. Uh, we've seen it with Christianity. As soon as planes are invented and there start being crowds moving and changing the demographies of various countries, suddenly the feeling that you're a Christian is not enough. You should also know that you're white. And that is my point tonight. This well, one thing problem. that... Go ahead, one, one real point. I didn't even mention this aspect of Islam, but in Islam, uh, what's called nasab or lineage is extremely important, and preserving your lineage is something that is highly is one of the aims, maqasid of the Sharia of Islamic law. And lineage is preserved by preventing things like fornication, pre- preventing things like um, adultery. Uh, but lineage, you have certain Muslims, especially in the Arab world, who know their ancestors their uh, p- uh, paternal line to like a hundred different, you know, grandfathers that they know. And this is like a very important value is knowing who your father is and maintaining that not only a relationship with your father and your grandfather and your whole kinship network, but also having a knowledge of your ancestors as well. This one coming in from do appreciate your question. Smith says, Islam is against degen, uh, degen, I don't, I think it may be degeneration. Yet in an ideal Islamic state, it would be open degeneration, naked female slave markets, etc. Hypocrisy. And they say, as for racism, see Muhammad and Ibn Timaya, who said Arabs are superior to non-Arabs. And then they cite the Hadith. The the Hadith says that Arabs are not superior. They're not superior to non-Arabs. The Hadith, like the statement of the Prophet, peace be upon him, is that no Arabs are not superior to non-Arabs and whites are not superior to blacks. That's the that's the narration. It's very it's anti-racial superiority. And that's why you have within uh, Islamic history caliphs and figures of authority scholars who are very multiracial in their backgrounds um you know that's i think beyond dispute historically Uh, as for (laughs) naked slave girls like i don't think that's promoted in islam uh like the nudity part slavery yes but not the nudity this one from in the pocket says how many people do you think aren't religious but deep down want others to be because they are afraid of the chaos that would ensue if there wasn't religion. I don't know who that's for. Could be both of you. I think it's it's very possible that a large section of the population is like this. Uh, they don't really care about God, but they overall just accept, they tolerate that it's happening around them. But it's also part of what the religion is as a social contract. It's the social benefits that you want to get out of it that matters. You got it. This one coming in from Dario DeJuric. Let me know if I say it, pronounce it right. It says, JF, do your predictions take into account economic stability or just race? There is much more to crime than just race. Religion saves people. Well, uh, 
when we look, for example, in America, uh, the black population of Detroit has access to an economic system that has much more opportunity than those of Africa. Yet you converge toward a similar homicide rate, which leads me to believe that no uh, measures like the economic uh, well-being don't matter much to these things. You got it. This one from... Kecker says, what sanction for ex-Muslim, what is the sanction for ex-Muslims in a Sharia law country, though, Daniel? So according to the Sharia, um, leaving Islam or apostating from Islam comes with the death penalty, according to the majority opinion. There's also the death penalty for blasphemy. Um, so this is well known. I cover it in every debate. I talk about it in every <laughs> Q&A. Um, same thing with slavery, same, same thing with uh, striking the wife. Um, so if you want more on these topics, uh, just go to my channel, Muslim Skeptic, and there are videos dedicated to literally all of these topics. Um, there's a reason why we find slavery uh, and concubine, concubinage, um, uh, death for um, leaving a community or extreme penalties for defecting from a community striking the wife we find these in all traditional cultures and all traditional religions um this is the case with christianity like we, we talked about wife beating in canon law canon law within christianity catholic christianity also endorsed wife beating um, much more severe than anything found in islam and arguably the bible in the new testament this is also something that is in, in is endorsed same thing when it comes to slavery, same thing when it comes to blasphemy or heresy. Look at how many people are killed uh, because of um, laws against heresy when we look at history, not just in Islam, but in Christianity and Hinduism and in Buddhism and in Native American religions. This is something universal, and it's because these things come from biology or they're connected somehow to human moral psychology. You're only attacking Islam for these things because Muslims are the only ones who are willing to stand by their religious traditions and not liberalize them or sell out and basically try to match the status quo or, or hide our religious beliefs, hide you know the reality of this history. We're the only ones willing to not sell out in that way. And that's why we, every time I have a debate, these are the sound bites that come through the questions or sometimes in the actual debate. Uh, JF is very respectful. He didn't try to use that tactic to try to poison the well by bringing in these kinds of points. Uh, but in the Q&A, every single time we have these nonsense questions, but I give the same answer every single time. This one coming in from Dario DeJuric. I think this is for you, J uh, JF. They say, he just called us all stupid, yet he can't comprehend the concept of God and religion. Oh, the irony. I think it's a jab back at you. <clears throat> uh, well, as, an, as a comedian once put it, the average IQ in human civilization is 100. That means that there's 50% of the people who are stupider than that. You got it. This one <laughs> coming in from. Do appreciate it. Famo says, my, hats to you, my hat off to you, J JF. Probably one of the most respectful and humble people to debate Daniel. You asked Daniel questions and patiently listened without cutting him off and throwing cheap ad hominems. Absolutely. I agree so much. And I agree with what he just said. Uh, 
abandoning the idea of discipline and authority in the family has been a big error of Western civilization. And a lot of the modern problems we have uh, are caused by this, by this absence of punishment and this blatant carelessness with which we let liberals or women or protected minorities or anyone really, we, we let anyone do anything and we are no more holding them to their duty, their moral duty and their obligations as part of the marriage contract. You got it. This one coming in from, do appreciate it, Smith says, how can you say a future modern Islamic state won't implement surveillance police states? A caliph can command that, and you cannot object, cannot rebel for that reason. No, this is actually a, a clear-cut rule within Islam. It's called uh, tajassus. Tajassus means spying. And there is a famous case of one of the first caliphs, the rightly guided caliphs, who serve as a model for future caliphs, Caliph Omar. Uh, and with Omar, what uh, actually happened is that he overheard, he was walking as Caliph through the street and he overheard, you know, a man and a woman, you know, laughing and giggling. And there was kind of music uh, that he heard. And so this is, uh, he suspected like some kind of fornication or something uh, improper happening. And so he, uh, he wanted to look over or maybe someone else actually uh, correct. Let, let me correct that. Someone else looked over and sa saw that a man and a woman who are not related by marriage were doing this, having fun and reported to the Caliph Omar reported to the Caliph Omar that he had seen this. So therefore punish the, this couple. And, and Omar said, no, you spied on them. They were in their private residence and you've actually spied on them. This is invalid. You were not allowed to spy and this is actually something uh, commanded in the Quran that you're not allowed to spy on the believers and uh, or anyone in general to go into their private residence uh, to try to find some kind of violation of Islamic law. That kind of privacy is enshrined in the Quran and in Islamic law, and it wouldn't be violated in a future Islamic nation. The caliph actually could not supersede the command of the Quran. Uh, so that's that's a very easy case to address, actually. You got it. Thank you very much for your question as well. This one coming in from Dario DeJurek says, Sending much love to Modern Day Debate. Definitely one of my favorite channels. I learned so much watching these debates, so I am grateful. Thanks so much, Dario. Seriously, that means a ton. And I've got to say, all credit to our speakers. They are the lifeblood of the channel. They make this fun. They're linked in the description. Right now, you can find both Daniel's and JF's links here in the YouTube description box, as well as at the podcast if you're listening later. This one from Smith says, if Daniel will say to my last question, quote, spying is haram. Let me know if I pronounce that right. He says he has to prove placing a CCTV camera in a public street would come under spying and is haram. So a public street putting a CCTV uh, camera that is a case that we would have to go to the Islamic scholars and what would be the ruling on, on that. Um, because if it's just a public street, um, that's different. But the kind of technology like facial recognition, that I think would fall under surveillance because the state having the knowledge of who everyone is based on their face or different biomarkers that we find in 
So in China, for example, with their social credit system or now increasingly in Europe um, and Canada. So that would be completely a violation of spying uh, and this kind of centralization of uh, information that Islam, like the Quran itself, speaks against. The Muslim apologist, thanks for your question, past debater, says, would you agree with the idea that ethno-nationalism can be part of a religious-centric government? I'm not sure who that's for. Hmm. Either of you. I think it's mostly for Daniel. So you have, I mentioned how within Islamic history, you had... Um, Muslim nations that were ethnically diverse. So it is a society that prioritizes um, the Sharia Islamic law, but it does not revile or does not oppose the fact that you have, you know, just like in uh, current day New York City or some of these major metropolises, you have like Chinatown or you have, you know, the Korean town and you have different races that's, that group together um, this is actually the default that you find in the cosmopolitan cities, major cities of the Muslim world, places like Damascus or Baghdad or Shiraz in Persia, Samarkand. You had these bigger cities and you had um, quarters uh, in those cities that were uh, distinguished by ethnicity or even race. So this is not something that Muslims are that's foreign to Muslims. You got it. This one coming in from. Do appreciate it. Mobash. If you had a question, let me know if you meant to attach one. The Inedible Hulk says, Daniel says that religion is experience, but is there evidence for this? Uh, experience for or evidence for religion? I think they're saying like, is this, is there evidence that it's genuine experience? Like they're saying, I think they're saying like, how do you know it's authentic experience of the divine? Well, I mean, that's a bigger epistemological question. Um, one of the kinds of arguments that I like to make is that, well, at the end of the day, our understanding of truth is also an experience or, or our experience of truth is something that is regulated or moderated by our natural intuitions. Um, so, for example, logic or certain moral truths, like the idea that harming someone is wrong or the principle of non-contradiction. When I think of like a contradiction, I feel like this is not right or this is not ver what's called veridical. It does not rep represent reality. That's a feeling and it's based on my psychology. It's based on my biology. And that is, you know, how I determine whether something is true or false or, or what have you. The thing about uh, religion uh, and specific aspects of religion, like belief in a creator or the belief that the universe has been created for a purpose, for the benefit of human beings, or the belief in an immortal soul, these are all also biological. And they're also very deeply rooted in our human psychology and that's why, again, you see this universal uh, nature of certain kinds of religious beliefs, like belief in a creator God, belief in uh, immortal soul and an afterlife being judged or the universe kind of reflecting uh, your actions or, or you experiencing the consequences of your actions, whether moral or immoral because of different things that happen to you, whether that's uh, in you know Hinduism, there's karma, the idea of karma and so forth, or the afterlife, the day of judgment. So these are universal, they're biological, they're strongly part of human psychology. So the same psychology that will 
uh, underwrite logic or the same psychology that underwrites uh, more certain moral truths like the harm principle or consequentialism, utilitarianism, those kinds of intuitions that we have are the same intuitions that uh, make us experience that, okay, God is the truth, or there is a purpose to the world, or I will be alive after death, or I will be conscious after death. Those intuitions are, are as deeply grounded in our psychologies as uh, some of these uh, empirical intuitions that we have, or logical imp- intuitions that we have, or moral intuitions that we have, that atheists and generally secularists don't have a problem with, or aren't, aren't, uh, undermining or criticizing or evaluating in the same way that they do with um, their religious intuitions. You got it. This one coming in from do appreciate it. Brian W says for both of you, if you need an organ and I am a potential donor, then I have saved your life. It came from someone different. Correct. No race. No race is superior. Why do you hold on to this archaic belief? JF. Well, uh, first, you you seem to think that because a liver from someone from another race could work with someone in another race, that that means races don't exist. Uh, You misinterpret it. Uh, Simply the fact that we are close enough, a liver can work in someone else. Just like, by the way, one day we might be able to transplant a pig heart into a human being. Does that mean that pigs and human beings are not two different biological categories? No. It just means that it turned out to do the job. And you can be a like a white supremacist because you're a moral nihilist. So the the idea the very idea of a objective standard by which to judge races is impossible from or, or is non-existent according to your worldview, correct? Well, uh I, I explained that earlier. I said it's a matter of taste. My morals are matters of taste, just like my preferences for ice cream. So I could have a preference for my people. Uh, That's not incompatible with moral nihilism. Right, but that's not the same as saying that the the race is superior. Like the language is universalistic. Like it's a universal type of uh, predication to say that one race is superior to other. And that's very different than taste, obviously. Like, taste is known that this is personal to you. So, this one. Well, uh, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead, James. Bubblegum no, go ahead. says America is a theocracy first, quote, God given rights, unquote. Not sure what their point was, though. This one from. But yeah, the U.S. is also, like, historically was a white nationalist. Like, um, the founding fathers were. Uh, white supremacists, not just white nationalists. They were whites. They did think that the European races were superior, be, specifically because of IQ and ingenuity, and the ability to understand the value of individual freedom. This is a part of American history, um, and even um, Hitler, you know, Adolf Hitler, uh, viewed the America's founding fathers in high regard. He thought that they had the right idea, uh, and how they kind of, you know, wiped out the Native American. Uh, inferior uh, race, according to Hitler, so and the founding fathers. So there is, uh, if you want to point out, you know, positive things about the founding fathers, there's also that aspect that we can't ignore historically. This one from Smith says, Smith's coming after you, Daniel. They've got a lot of questions. They say, 
Is slavery and female slavery preferable human nature, Daniel? Is this what people are seeing in Islam? Is this what lines up with our intuition? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's why that's why it's universal. That's why. Um, and I've made the argument for why not only slavery and, and sex slavery are morally justified historically, they're morally necessary. Um, and um, it's simply about numbers, because in uh, pre-modern times, uh, prior to the modern uh, technology of airplanes and bombs and guns, uh, you would have to, the side in a war that had the most numbers was most likely to win the war. So having enough manpower and having enough wombs to produce uh, boys who are going to go into battle and fight, that is the determining factor of whether your people will survive or be wiped out and literally slaughtered by others. So enslaving the defeated people is necessary for the survival of your own race or your own people, not necessarily race. It could be a religious group, an ethnic group or whatever. Um, but slavery was required, was necessary because war in pre-modern times was a battle of numbers um, and then sex slavery as well. You have to be able to produce the numbers in order to not be exterminated. Um, so every this is why every society, every culture, every religion endorsed slavery. Now that changes with modern technology. Um, it changes when you have something like the nuclear weapon or long-range missiles or you have tanks. Um, but even in that case, even in that case, I would much prefer a world with slavery that practice slavery as opposed to a world where we are living under the threat of nuclear weapons, of chemical weapons, biological weapons, uh, gene editing technologies, mass surveillance, all of these things that are a boot on our on all of our necks is because of these technological innovations. I would prefer to live in a slightly lower tech society, a lower tech civilization. That way you get rid of the problem of this centralization of authority. Um, you get the problem of mass extinction. You get, you know, the, you get rid of this problem with, uh, you know, the human race being replaced by some other AI based life form as, as JF talks about in his book, you get rid of those problems just by limiting technology and going back to this pre-modern level of technology. And you can still live a very happy, fulfilled, enjoyable life. And there, yes, there is slavery, but that's something that is a moral requirement because human conflict is something also universal. You're always going to have wars. You're always going to have fighting. So it's like slavery is just a part of that in the same way that humans will always have certain things like agriculture, for example. You got it. This one coming in from, do appreciate it. I can't remember the, the term simp used to have, it's an acronym but I can't remember what it stood for. Does anybody remember? Because when I look online, it was a clever acronym. It's not just like a guy who's like overly nice to girls. There, it's This is actually in a question. I don't know. So, I don't know. I can't remember. It was a clever acronym. JF, you have to know this. This sounds like something you It's you'd a write. simpleton. It stands for simpleton, as I read it here, according to the slang dictionary. But uh, I think it's more than a comment about intelligence. I think it's about submissiveness and willingness to give money to women without getting reproductive advantages from. Well, that's them. okay. 
That's helpful. Smith says, Daniel, stop simping for Andrew Tate. So are you giving Andrew Tate your resources without reproductive returns? What's, what is, okay, we'll give you a chance to respond. Okay, uh, I just want to give you that there's actually, I, I scroll down and it's an acronym for suckers idolizing mediocre pussy. That's what it was. Okay. I know it's a little bit offensive, but <laughs> that was the clever acronym that I thought I remembered because, you know, I read that on, what is it, USA Today says, oh, it, it reads simpleton. And I was like, that sounds like something USA Today would say. But, okay, go ahead, Daniel. Are you, uh, are you worshiping Andrew Tate? They, they accuse you of kissing his butt. No, I don't. I gave the response to this already. Like, I, and the the situation with his court case, um, I think it's completely. Uh, this is a plot to really uh, silence him. I think he was uh, really. Uh, sp- his message was spreading like wildfire on on social media. That's why he had to be canceled off of and banned off of social media. Uh, but the real problematic thing that he was talking about was uh, certain conspiracy theories that we can leave unsaid for the purpose of keeping this video on the channels. But I think that's the real reason that he needed to be silenced in the same way that Julian Assange needed to, needed to be silenced. Um, they were spreading information that is highly disruptive to um, this liberal uh, hegemony and this liberal order. So social media bans didn't solve the problem. They had to take the next step. And it's highly convenient that these kinds of charges uh, have been placed against him at this time so we'll we'll see what happens but that's my take on it you got it this one coming in from the inedible hulk you are is that what is the inedible hulk you seem so disgruntled so they one they say that daniel you're you said that the reason you know your experience is real is because it's a feeling i'm sure you'd probably disagree with whether or not that's a charitable (laughs) summary daniel they also well, feeling i was just trying to get on uh to what we mean by feeling like if it's you mean feeling as in subjective no that's not what i mean uh, by feeling i don't mean subjective in the sense that oh i feel that chocolate is my favorite versus vanilla that's not what i mean but i mean every uh, uh, our evaluation of any kind of truth statement even in prop- propositional logic is ultimately mediated by how we Uh, internally feel about it. Uh, And there are certain rules about how human beings will feel about certain things. Uh, There are rules of psychology. Like if you, if you put, you know, uh, a picture of maggots in front of a person, uh, they will feel disgust. You know, that's something that's universal as biological. Same. If you put two contradictory statements in front of a person, they will feel like something is wrong or like, this is a contradiction. I cannot accept it. Those are all feelings in that way, but that doesn't mean that they're subjective. They're shared universally as a part of our psychology. If you want to use an analogy with computers, this is our operating system. It operates in in a rules-based fashion. And the kinds of rules that are mediating things like um, true statements about logic, about moral statements, about even empirical statements, uh, religious uh, statements or religious claims are also mediated in, in by that same heart or by that same machinery or mental framework or psychology or however you want to put it. You got it. This one coming in from, and the Inedible Hulk also criticizing me, says, please stop advertising 
stuff that's over a year old as new modern day debate. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Let me know in chat what that was. I'm just confused. Like the podcast because it's over a year old. I don't. Uh, this Mo Bash says question of both. How often is it that religious fundamentalism agrees with nationalist racism? Example: Hitler and Grand Mufti. Am I saying that right? Of Mufti. Jerusalem. Thank you. A Mufti of Jerusalem. I think that historically, basically, all religions had a kind of hidden racial tip to it. Uh, the only exception being modern Christianity and Western Europe. Any yeah, I, I don't know the exact details about the Grand Mufti um, and his relationship with uh, Hitler. Um, but, I mean, you ha had all kinds of different political alliances uh, that took place historically between the Western powers and the Muslim world. Uh, I don't think that those alliances were motivated by any kind of racism or the idea of racial superiority or white supremacy. <laughs> I don't think the Grand Mufti, uh, whoever he was, um, thought that Hitler's white supremacy or anyone or George Washington's white supremacy were uh, accurate or moral at all. So this kind of implication, usually coming from Zionists, I think Benjamin Netanyahu <laughs> made this claim about the Grand Mufti. Uh, that's, that's the only example that I can think of. Uh, this is just Zionist propaganda. You got it. Thank you very much for this one. Coming in from Smith says, Islam is just the same as the ethno-nationalists like JF, except it switches race with religious supremacy. Daniel, Islam, and the ethno-nationalists have a lot in common. No, because I think that, yes, uh, Islam does consider uh, itself to be superior. It is a superior way of life. It is a superior moral system and it matches reality uh, better than any other worldview or system. And so it is, it is universalistic and superior in that way. And I'm willing, like, that's why I come on modern day debates is to be challenged on that and to debate exactly that topic. Um, but when it comes to ethnic supremacy, I just find it very hard. I think most people find it very hard to justify that on, on in an objective way, unless you appeal to a kind of religion um, like uh, Hinduism, maybe, or Judaism. Like, But even those kinds of racial supremacist attitudes um, are hard to maintain when we have when we see other races and what they've been able to accomplish and their histories. So I, I do think that there's a big difference between Islamic supremacy as opposed to ethnic, ethno-nationalist supremacy. You got it. This one coming in from Kecker says, 98 verse 6, God made me and called me the worst of creatures. I don't know what that means. I don't know. Yes. Worst of creatures. Well, in Islam, the worst of creatures is according to different verses of the Quran, the worst of creatures are those who deny the existence of God. They're the ones who um, have been created by God. They have been granted all kinds of uh, benefits and blessings uh, in terms of their physical body, their eyesight, their hearing, the food that they can eat and enjoy, the kind of relationships that they can enjoy in life. Everything has been provided 
by God, and we are enjoying that, yet you want to reject God, and you want to say that, no, I don't owe anything to God, I can, I'm my own person, and I'm just fine just the way that I am. This is a kind of arrogance, and this is very, this is the, the worst kind of moral transgression, is to reject the one who has given you uh, so much. So if that's what you're referring to, yes, that is a, definitely a part of Islam. You bet. T.S. Apostolus says, Brett and Heather, I think they mean from the Dark Horse podcast, say we are so much more software than hardware. Religion slash culture and the memes by which we bind in mimesis is humanity. That is uh, so untrue. It's laughable. Uh, Nigeria being an example I brought, you bring Christianity there, it remains Nigeria and it keeps the Nigerian traditions and behaviors going. Uh, Detroit versus the rest of America being another example. Uh, we, this comparison between hardware and software is misleading. Uh, software doesn't mean that it changes. Software isn't necessarily more plastic than hardware. Uh, ultimately, we are determined by genes in great proportions as demonstrated by twin studies. And we don't know of behavioral programs that we can insert through culture and culture only without having a predisposition already in the people. But you isn't it, it the case that even with the white race, if we just focus on Northwest Europe, you had a, you know, proto-European culture slash religion, you had the Greco-Roman religion, you had the Christian religion, and now you have a kind of modern liberal religion, yet they're all white, but those are vastly different ways of life. They're vastly belie different belief systems. Doesn't this show like the mutability of a racial group? Racial groups are mutable, and they are subject to attacks, decomposition, mutation, changes, and most importantly, natural selection pressure. So things don't survive in time, neither religion nor race. Being white today is not the same thing as being white 10,000 years ago or even a 1,000 years ago. There are processes in civilization that leads to this liberalization and those are genetic ones. That's why it's important that we talk about race and that we keep that in mind in any societal program. I think you have a slightly different understanding of, of race than most white nationalists or alt-right, because I think that they would consider like proto-Europeans um, coming from migrating from Central Asia uh, and Romans and Greeks as all part of the white race. But it seems like you have a more... Um, genetic-based understanding of race uh, than Well, they yeah, as a biologist, but I would say it's pretty common. My view in, uh, in uh, racial nationalism is a pretty common one, and they, they would tell you the same, that races are evolving and they are changing, and the, race, the white race of 400 years ago will not be preserved. We will be a different white race in a thousand years from now. That doesn't mean we cannot be attached to our ancestry. The ancestry line matters, but it's not fixed. This one coming in from, do appreciate it. Only a couple more questions here. The Inedible Hulk, let's see. Uh, yeah, uh, we're looking for sincere questions. Some of some of your questions just didn't seem sincere. Like, it seemed they were just like mocking. So this one coming in from, do appreciate it. Bubblegum Gun says, God created each race, religion, 
plus race equals truth. So I think they're saying in some way they agree with both of you. Famo says, Daniel, my Allah may Allah bless you for your patience. These basement-dwelling trolls are pathetic. <laughs> wait, wait, you don't mean JF. JF's been polite. They oh, the door. They must not be you. They, oh, they must be. Maybe they mean the Comments, the inedible right. Hulk in the Q and A. Yeah, yeah. They say or they say these basement dwelling trolls are pathetic with their nonsensical comments irrelevant from the debate topic. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's what I said before. Like they just have a couple of talking points or like Zionist talking points and they just repeat it ad nauseum. So it's fine. We deal with the trolls. We've been dealing with them for years. It's no problem. You got it. And this one coming in from Famo says, Daniel, oh, we got that one. Truth speaker says, J, uh, GJ must, I think they mean, let's see, GJ, JF. They say, how Good do you- job. Oh, yes. Thank you. I appreciate that. They say, how do you... <laughs> I'm the acronym guy tonight. <laughs> yes, yeah. you are. That's very good. They say, how do you encourage chastity and family value? As a, You mean as a ethno-nationalist or as a Muslim? As a Muslim, the answer is easy. You, you preserve family by preserving the patriarchy, by preserving gender roles, by outlawing or criminalizing... Uh, fornication by shaming immodest behavior by shaming uh, gender mixing like with strange between strange men and women who are not related uh, through kin or through marriage um, there's plenty of ways that you preserve family um, and islam does that whereas the liberal modern liberal system is all about undoing all of these important uh, customs and regulations that preserve family. And that's why statistically you see um, smaller families, you see the marriage rate is collapsing. Um, you see, I think the statistic was by nine, uh, by 2030, 48% of women will be single and childless, something like that. Um, the, the numbers are really, uh, you know, dystopic. Like this is a disaster, uh, a human disaster, not just a demographic disaster that is taking place. And people, many of the people who are watching right now will never have the benefit of a family, will never have the benefit of a loving, committed wife or a husband. They're going to be alone. And this is a disaster. This is a complete tragedy that the human race is experiencing at this very moment. And my whole message in these debates and on my channel and writing is, that Islam is the solution. Islam is the answer to this. And we can explain it and we can show the logic. But we have to, whether you become a Muslim or not, at least ally with Muslims, at least join hands with Muslims in fighting against this liberal transhumanist uh, hegemony, hegemony that is destroying the human race. Yeah, but even the same methods, I have my secular version of it. I call it super marriage, but it's basically the same thing. What is that? Please explain. Super marriage. Well, it's a, it's a contract that links a woman and a man, and there are arch punishments if you divorce a super marriage. In fact, you can't. But if, if you flee, uh, there, there is punishment. Yeah, in Islam also, there's, you know, there's a big disincentive. First of all, the, you know, the primary right of divorce is only in the hands of a man. 
So women are not allowed unless there's a like legitimate abuse or legitimate rights that are not being fulfilled that the wife has, like the husband is not feeding her or providing for her. Uh, other than those legitimate circumstances, the wife typically does not have the ability to voluntarily defect or leave the marriage. Um, the man does, but the woman does not have um, that kind of ability. And men, of course, they don't have the incentive to leave a marriage because they have sunk so many resources, especially because in Islam, there's a, a what's called a mahar or it's like a dowry. The man has to pay uh, and the woman in order to marry her. So he is disincentivized to divorce uh, her. That keeps the marriage very stable. Now, in present day society, we see uh, 70 to 90 percent of divorces are initiated by the woman. It's not the men yes. who want divorce. It's the women who are constantly defecting and leaving these marriages. Um, but Islam prevents that. And what feminism has does has done is basically make this decision of a woman to leave a marriage as easy as possible, as stigma free as possible. They're basically encouraging women to leave their husbands or to cheat on their husbands. And all of the media and the legal system and the university system are, are all playing into this feminist uh, insulation of women from the negative consequences of their choices. Absolutely. This one coming in from, I think that's actually maybe it. Let me just double check. Last one. I want to say our guests are linked in the description, folks. So if you want to hear more from Daniel or JF, you certainly can. This one from Notion Slave says, are you suggesting enemy women should be forced to produce offspring for Muslim armies? Isn't that direct R-A-P-E command? God doesn't endorse that. Well, again, uh, there are... We can, I could ask like a modern liberal person, um, you know, do you endorse children being incinerated? Do you endorse, you know, little babies uh, being burned to death or, you know, being uh, basically turned into ash? Do you endorse that? Uh, yes or no. And that's the reality of modern warfare. That is the reality of dropping bombs, even conventional weapons. Like this is, it's understood according to modern warfare that um, innocent lives will be lost, uh, incinerated. Um, having a woman be a part of a family as a slave um, and, you know, being in that kind of relationship. And there's, there are strict rules in Islam to basically not treat uh, slaves as chattel to like not treat them as just inanimate objects. They have certain rights. They have certain rights as slaves. They can't be, for example, prostituted. Uh, and when a slave uh, woman has a child, then um, she will, when her master dies, then she is a free woman. Um, so all of these kinds of rules and regulations and mercy that's given to uh, slaves and, and slave women um, that exists in Islam, but ultimately, like you should think of um, this sex slavery in the same way that you think about bombs and tanks and guns. Um, in fact, those weapons are much more de uh, destructive and they're much more inhumane because they literally kill people. Whereas being a sex slave, you're still alive. You're not being killed. Uh, you can still live your life uh, with certain restrictions on you. Um, so that's the kind of comparison that people should be making 
when they want to criticize uh, Islam. In the future, imagine, like in the future with technology, you could have this uh, these advanced weapons where warfare involves just pressing a button and the enemy's heart just stops. So you can minimize casualties using this kind of new technology or like a satellite laser that can very precisely target um, the enemy and kill him with zero casualties. And then people in the future say that, oh, you believe in, you know, using, can you believe that in the 20th century or the 19th century, they use guns or they use bombs or they use tanks or they use warplanes? Can you believe that? How completely morally blind were they? You're judging uh, people in the 20th century on the basis of technology in the 21st century. And the same thing is happening now. You're judging slavery, which again was in Islam and Christianity and, and all of these empires universally. You're judging that on the basis of present day technology. And actually, when you do that comparison, I think the slavery comes out on top as more humane uh, than what modern warfare is capable of through technology. You got it. Thank you very much for your question. This one coming in from do appreciate it. Jay Shah says, why is it? They say, if Allah asks for allegiance, doesn't this make Allah insecure? I don't know if this has to do with the topic, but we're humoring it. Maybe it's because like, yeah, I mean, this is, I think, related to the whole apostasy question and how there's penalties for apostasy or there's penalty for blasphemy. Some of these Christian apologists say that, oh, is Allah insecure that he punishes blasphemers or he requires a punishment for blasphemers? This is like a very cheap kind of comment because the, the fact of the matter is, it's not that Allah needs us to protect his honor or to punish apostates or blasphemers. The whole purpose is to preserve religion for society, to preserve the value of a belief in God, which is what is underwriting, which is the foundation of all of these rights and responsibilities and organic relationships that keep society functioning and flourishing. Like religion is is that foundation. If you start attacking the foundation by apostating from the religion or blaspheming against God and and his messengers and his prophets, um, then that is going to shake the entire structure of society and lead to the kind of chaos that we see in the modern, postmodernist, anti-religious, secular world. And this is exactly what happened to Christians um, where they allowed you know, the example that I gave of Germany in the opening statement, that wasn't hypothetical. That actually happened because you had this Frederick the Great in the 1700s who uh, was influenced by Voltaire and the French Enlightenment thinkers. He's like, wow, freedom of religion is such a great thing. We should allow atheism to be promoted. We have to really reduce religious education. That had a huge, that's like an atomic bomb that he dropped on Christian Germans and and these traditional Christian Germans. He destroyed um, the basis of their society. And that's really what you have to prevent in order to preserve society and to preserve what is ultimately the most important. Like I can give a theological reason, like what is most important for human beings is their afterlife. And we have to prevent people from blaspheming in order to prevent more and more people falling into Uh, this kind of disbelief that they will suffer for in the afterlife. That is, you know, the main reason, but also in terms of social uh, consistency, social flourishing, uh, all of these organic relationships, they are preserved by religion. So we have to prevent people from attacking 
religion and blaspheming against it. This one coming in from, do appreciate it. Mobash says, Daniel, the Muftai and Hitler wasn't propaganda. There is photo and video images, and he was literally rallying Muslims to fight alongside Nazis. Okay, so have you heard of the Havara Agreement? The Havara Agreement was a agreement between Nazi Germany and Zionist German Jews signed on the on August 25th, 1933. So uh, go look into the Havara Agreement. Um, you want to talk about the Grand Mufti of uh, Jerusalem or wherever? Look at when Zionist German Jews made an agreement, signed an agreement with Nazi Germany. And I think that's that needs to be explored as well. You got it. This one coming in from, appreciate it. I think this is our last one. This is, see. Say, Eric Nelson says, it's okay to be gay. Sorry, Theus. <laughs> Famo says, JF, we welcome you to Islam, bro. You have an open mind. And inshallah, you and Daniel can have another discussion. By the way, my previous comment was not towards JF. And also well, that's an honor for me to be welcomed in Islam, but unfortunately, I recognize as my only god, Elon Musk, and his Twitter blue service for $8. I just got <laughs> unbanned on Twitter, and I highly encourage you to go support Elon Musk. He is the one and true deity. He controls the speech on the internet, and he offers a helping hand to anyone who believes in him and accepts twitter blue in his heart okay this one yeah so this is wait one i have a super chat can i yep, read that go it's ahead. also a question so this is from albanian muslim from quebec i think it's albanian he says jf i'm he's this addressing jf i'm from kosovo we are not slavs most of us are muslims our dna is very quote-unquote pure european wouldn't pure quebecois becoming muslims make them stronger as an ethnic group uh, I've left Quebec because I've abandoned the idea that this society would survive. So uh, I really don't have a high esteem of Quebec. Could Islam help it? Maybe, but it wouldn't be Quebec anymore if it was Islamic. Uh, on the question of Kosovo being truly European, definitely they are a different cluster. You can call that European if you want, but they are definitely separate genetically, and we can see it on a graph uh, with respect to Western Europeans. This one coming in from another one for you, JF. Let's see, where did this go? I just saw it. It was a they like you, JF. They said. Oh, sorry. It's like, where am I? Why am I so lost? Well, this one come from I'm gonna I'm gonna find it. But in the meantime, this one from it says G-A-R-Y. What is the purpose? Oh, Gary Eppy. So what is the purpose of life without God? How to debunk hedonism without God? What is the aim of the ethnostate? Well, what is the purpose of the squirrel? Uh, he certainly doesn't have a belief in God. Uh, his purpose is survival, self-preservation, family raising, and leaving descent. And that should be our goal, too. I think you can lead a beautiful life based in family, even if you're an atheist like me. But you have to follow your biological instincts. You got it. I think that's it. I did see it. I'm telling you, there was another one that was saying, JF, we appreciate you. 
So I want to say that we appreciate both of you guys. JF and Daniel, we'll let you go because it's getting late. But want to say thank you so much for being with us tonight. It's been a true pleasure. Folks, if you haven't yet, you can open up. I'm going to be back in a moment with a post-credit scene letting you know about upcoming debates, including those for Daniel and JF, as each of them have one scheduled already for two different debate topics with two different people. So you don't want to miss those. Stick around. But as I said... Thanks to our guests, Daniel and JF are linked in the description. So what you could do is you could even open up another tab and you could put their links in there right now. And that way, you know, it's ready for you once we get done with the post credit scene. But one last thank you, Daniel and JF. It's been a true pleasure. Thanks to you, too. That was a really great discussion. Thank you to you both. Thank you, James, as always. And thanks to JF. My pleasure. I'll be back in just a moment, folks, with that post credit scene. So stick around and we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.